Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis.org, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the COVID-19 crisis and beyond. Hi, everyone. My name is Shiv Glani. I'm the co-founder and CEO of Osmosis.org, a health education platform. And today I'm really happy to be joined by Jeff Maggiancalda, who's the CEO of Coursera, which most of you have heard of, many of you have taken courses on. And basically, they were the category-defining company for massive online open courses. Today, Coursera has 46 million learners and 200 university and industry partners worldwide. Those are the latest stats I have. It's probably even more, given how much of a rocket ship Coursera seems to be. Before Coursera, Jeff was the founding CEO at Financial Engines, uh, which provides online investment advice. And he also worked as a consultant at McKinsey. So Jeff and I met at a conference here in Utah a month ago called Learn and Ski. We share investors, uh, learn capital and learn start. And we had the pleasure of getting to know each other and uh, Coursera's interest in healthcare. And it already seems like that was a year ago, given how much has changed with COVID. And we're really proud that we've partnered with Coursera to launch Osmosis's first course, a continuing medical education course on COVID, which to date has had uh, over 10,000 people enroll in that between Coursera and, and, uh, and the Osmosis platform. So Jeff, thanks so much for being here with us today. And so my first question is just kind of understanding how you came to accept the role as CEO of Coursera. I would love to hear that background. Yeah, well, I'd been the CEO of Financial Engines for 18 years. I I started just out of business school. And uh, so that was a long haul. And it was really super fortunate that I got a call from a recruiter who I had used at Financial Engines before that, saying that Coursera was looking for a CEO. I'd always wanted to be a teacher when I was in high school. I always wanted to be a teacher. I thought that that dream would, would never really come to fruition and although I'm not a teacher, I think Coursera is sort of the next next best chance. I, I do think that access to education and learning is the path to access to opportunity and equality. And when I look at what's happening in society globally and here in the U.S., it is really a tale of, of two groups, uh, the haves and the have-nots. And it's almost all predicated on educational opportunity and the kind of knowledge and skills people can develop. So I feel that this is a great business, but more importantly, it's a great mission and it's a great way to try to use my time and talent to make a difference in the world. So in terms of uh, making a difference in the world, again, when we met in Utah at this conference, we talked about the impact COVID-19 was having. Uh, Back then, it was mostly in China. Uh, At least that's where the discussion was. And I'm curious, how have the last few months affected demand for Coursera? And do you have any specific kind of stats you can point to in terms of the B2C uh, or B2B demand you've been seeing? Yeah, well, it, it, it clearly has affected demand quite a bit. When, when Daphne Kohler and Andrew Ng, who are the two founders, started Coursera, the idea was, you know, create access for everybody in the world, you know, high quality education available to them. And, and the company has grown over time, but the whole COVID crisis has caused so many people, obviously, to be locked in their homes, uh, UNESCO has reported that 1.5 billion students have had their schools closed. So this is 190 countries have closed every school in the country. It's 91% of every schools in the world from kindergarten through college have been closed. So as you might expect, all the people working from home and the students not being able to go to school has clearly created a demand for Coursera. Year over year, last 30 days, we've seen new registrations up by 670%. We see especially uh, new learners coming to Coursera that were never here before. I mean, traditionally, we would attract a lot of people in data science, in computer science, and business. 
but it's a much wider representation of, uh, of learners who are coming. So our new learner registrations are up 900%. Public health enrollments are up 2,200%. And the way that kind of rolls out is country by country, as we saw, like when I was talking with you in, in uh, Utah, uh, we saw first it was China, Taiwan, Vietnam, other parts of Asia. And then we saw big spikes in Italy, Spain, France, Europe. The U.S. really started activating as the lockdowns started happening. And now we're seeing big growing demand in LATAM and in India. So it really is across pretty much every region. And it's across pretty much every domain with a real focus on not only public health, but also personal development. So there's been a lot of interest in mental health courses uh, that we have a, a course by Yale uh, Lori Santos, Professor Santos, has a course called The Science of Well-Being. It's one of our most popular courses. It has been. It had 500,000 enrollments last year after the launch. In the last month, there's been a million people more who've been enrolled in that course. And so you know, people are coming to Coursera for a lot of reasons. And a lot of it is because they're isolated, they're feeling isolated, and they're trying to, I think, improve themselves and use their times in what they believe to be a constructive way. That's great to hear that at least, uh, again, they're able to be productive with their time because there's only so many seasons of uh, Netflix you can watch before I think uh, <laughs> you may want to start learning. So, you know, everyone is at, in their house because of the concept of social distancing, which has been promoted to so-called flatten the curve, right, to reduce the number of people who will need healthcare. Um, and so everyone knows that concept of flattening the curve. At Osmosis, we talk a lot about the concept of raising the line, and actually that's the name of this video series and interview series, um, which basically means increasing health system capacity, including how many people are capable of providing healthcare, the workforce. Um, do you mind talking to us a bit about Coursera's work with regards to healthcare education? Yeah, definitely. So we have been mostly focused on data science, technology, and business. Uh, but in January of 2019, we made a major push to put more healthcare content on the platform. Coursera works with over 170 of the top universities. Many of them have the top medical schools. And so they have been really interested in helping to share access to medical training. We started with just a, a launch of 100 healthcare-related courses in January. We're now up to 450 healthcare-related courses. And as I said, the, the, these courses are seeing higher demand than, than other courses on the platform. And um, on March 25th with Osmosis, we, we launched the COVID-19, what you need to know, which counts towards a uh, continuing medical education. Uh, I'll, I'll tell you, your team is fantastic. The, the <laughs> speed and quality is a rare combination. Thank you. Already, Thank you. we've received over 7,000 enrollments and 1,400 completions. So it looks like a lot of people are coming to not only learn the material, but also get that continuing medical education credit. And we really are pleased to be working with you guys. And, and seriously, we work with a lot of players. You guys are both quick and high quality, and we really appreciate it. Thanks a lot. Now, that means a lot. And I'm glad the team will be able to see that. Um, obviously, it means a lot coming from you all because we have a lot of respect for everything Coursera has done. And I saw we, we had an email go out, obviously, at Osmosis, but also to the Coursera audience this past Friday, I think over 10 million of your learners um, that included the, or the Osmosis Coursera course on COVID-19. I'm curious, what other kind of COVID-related content have you all released and what type of feedback are you getting on those? Yeah, so so a number of universities are putting things out there. The big one is, uh, when I say the big one, the one with the most enrollments is from Imperial College of London. So Imperial College of London has been a partner for a while. Uh, they have a master's in public health degree on Coursera. It's you know one of the top ranked public health programs in the world. Imperial College of London is the number four ranked medical school in the world. They put out a talk called Science Matters. Let's talk about COVID-19. They've seen 94,000 enrollments so far. 
And one of their star professors is Neil Ferguson, who put together that simulation model that influenced heavily the US and UK policy on social distancing. So that's been getting a lot of attention. Uh, we got one by Johns Hopkins University called Fighting COVID-19 with Epidemiology. It was a teach out, was sort of a live event that they did. Uh, University of Florida put out COVID-19, a clinical update. So kind of talking about what's it like uh, in the clinics. And then we have a university in Barcelona who has a, a Spanish language course. We are, uh, we're seeing a lot of demand for COVID related courses, not surprisingly. And there's, you know, there's a lot of news out there, but rarely can someone get to the true experts who have done a thoughtful uh, piece on you know, educating people about COVID. So I think the quality is really a nice differentiator that's attracting a lot of people. Totally, and I, I personally enrolled in the Hopkins course. Uh, uh, you may not know this, but I was actually a medical student at Johns Hopkins when my co-founder and I met and started Osmosis. Fantastic, um, that's great. Yeah, so that, the Hopkins course is the number two most popular course launched on Coursera so far this year. The number one course is that Imperial College of London course. So those two courses are our top two courses on Coursera for 2020 so far. Wow, amazing. So, um, you know, I mean, we're all praying that COVID will come to a close soon and we can all get back to our daily lives. But I, I do think there's a lot of talk around lasting effects that this pandemic's gonna have on all parts of society. And I'm curious, given the role Coursera has had on higher education, what are some of the effects you think this pandemic will have on universities and colleges around the world, even in a post-COVID world? Yeah, I think in terms of sort of what I think of as like the three big waves of COVID, the first major wave is the health one, right? Mobilizing healthcare workers to save people's lives and the dedication and the sacrifices and the risks being taken by frontline workers is just extraordinary. I think appropriately that's where society went first is the healthcare front, and that's going to continue for a long time. A lot of predictions suggest that this is going to come in waves. The epidemic will be uh, mitigated, and then it will you know, sort of recur, and, and, and so we'll be dealing with this for a long time. I do think health will remain the number one thing, and the way that we manage health with telemedicine, things like that, will be changed a lot different than they are today. The second big wave is kind of school closures. That happened immediately as part of the social distancing and I'll talk a little bit about the way that we see higher education and education in general changing. But then the third big wave, which we're just now starting to see, is the whole unemployment wave. So you go from health to school to, to employment. And so there's a lot that we're working on now on employment. And I think the future of employment and the way people work together will be different. But let me focus in on the second big piece, which you just mentioned, which is schools. Uh, clearly, the big thing about pandemics is that uh, it's a viral infection that gets transmitted is highly contagious. What that means is knowing whether you have the disease, knowing whether you can transmit the disease uh, and mitigating that transmission is really important. Of course, as a treatment side, if you do get it, but that's gonna really change the way people are able to come together or not come together. I think the first approach, which made a lot of sense was to shut everything down. All workers work from home, all schools closed. I think to get the economy and society running again, understanding who's most at risk based on age, comorbidities, whether or not you've had it and you have antibodies. I think being able to assess appropriately the risk that someone gets the disease or transmit the disease is gonna be important. And then based on that risk, I think we will allow certain people to come together in certain ways. But I think the idea of kind of universal assembly, it's gonna be a long time before we get back to that in the workplace and at school. So we see a world where there's going to be some on-campus classes, uh, especially the ones that require clinical labs, things that are more physically oriented. It is looking like many campuses are not going to be open in the summer, probably won't be open in the fall. 
Perhaps they'll partially open them for med school students and others who need to be on campus. They will probably have um, blended periods though so that they can actually spread people out a little bit more using the plants on campus. So we see blended classrooms being pretty much a staple for the, the next probably many years. There'll be some students online and some students uh, in the classroom. But on the flip side, I think there's gonna be uh, a lot of remote teaching because professors are often at higher risk of fatality if they catch the disease. And so it might be the case that students are on campus and professors are not. And so I think it's kind of both directions. You're gonna have some students on campus, many students online, some professors teaching live classes, some professors teaching online. The backbone of the whole thing though, we believe is gonna be uh, technology. And whether that's Coursera or Zoom or some combination, I think the key thing is that there's gonna be a much bigger role for technology to play in the provision of education. Totally. I mean, and that, that same thing is being discussed in terms of, you know, sales marketing. Do we even need to be doing conferences anymore? One thing we spoke about at the conference last month, though, is how mission driven Coursera is. I mean, you mentioned that's the main reason you joined them. And you clearly had done a lot of the, this kind of education work beforehand. You had mentioned that Coursera works with several underserved populations, putting COVID aside, refugees, prison inmates, veterans. Can you talk a bit more about kind of how you made that a centerpiece of the work that you all do at Coursera and what programs Coursera and other online education companies could be doing? So when the company was founded, it really was founded by two professors with a mission to try to serve the world. And so from the very, I mean, well before I got here, which was about three years ago, the company was always super mission focused. They started with financial aid, like right out of the gate, financial aid was part of the, part of the deal. And every lecture people can watch for free. So Every course, you can watch the lectures for free. If you want to get the certificate, you have to pay. Every course, you can actually take the test and get a certificate with financial aid if you qualify for financial aid. Many years ago, we launched uh, Coursera for Refugees, which is basically offering Coursera through nonprofit institutions. We work with about 14 nonprofit institutions to serve refugee populations. So far, we've served over 40,000 refugees all around the world who often are displaced from their, their countries and also lose their academic credentials or the transferability of their academic credentials aren't as high. So education is really important for a more transient population. Uh, you mentioned veterans were gearing up to provide Coursera through nonprofits to, to veterans and their families, uh, gearing up to provide through nonprofits Coursera for underserved high schools uh, and also formerly incarcerated individuals who are coming back to society. And that's a really tough transition as well. The biggest sort of social impact effort that we made is a version of Coursera for campus that we're making available to any impacted school or university in the world. Uh, and we've started doing this on March 12th. We're working with UNESCO, the World Bank and World Economic Forum. We've seen uh, tens of thousands of inquiries. We've already had 6,000 uh, universities come to us from 120 different countries. In February, we had 50, 50, instances of Coursera for campus, active for campuses. We're currently at 4,000 active programs right now, serving hundreds of thousands of students and thousands of faculty. So we're really excited to be doing this. And I think, you know, we're looking forward and thinking that that workforce development and unemployment might be another big uh, sort of social impact effort that we could make. That's awesome. That's so great to hear. Um, we definitely have a lot of similarities in, in how mission-driven the orgs are. I mean, when you mentioned the refugee populations that you all work with, I think I followed up and sent you some of the work we've done with the Syrian refugees and all the med schools there that students have been displaced and, you know, donated thousands and thousands of years worth of osmosis to those uh, refugees there. 
I guess I have one, one last question, which is, you know, say you were a, a student right now and you were displaced from school. Is there any advice you'd be, you'd want to give yourself or any other students out there who are dealing with the pandemic right now and maybe a job market that's not as robust as we would have hoped? Yeah, of course, it depends on the age of the student, you know, a young person versus let's, let's suppose they'll sort of a young adult, maybe someone in college, um, an undergrad. I think that, uh, first of all, it's, it's very tough. I have three daughters living with me now. They are 22, 26, and 28. So two of them are out of college, but one's a, as a junior. And she's doing the whole Zoom video thing. And her college is Duke, so it's on the East Coast. So she's getting up really early because, you know, they're, they're running on East Coast time. Now, her roommate is in Korea. She has to get up at 3 in the morning. So first of all, I feel for you. <laughs> Try to keep fighting the good fight. It's, it's really not easy to do you know, hour-long Zoom videos. I'd say, you know, get your rest, do the best you can to take care of yourself, uh, and, and obviously try to stay in it. There are lots of resources. You know, Coursera certainly is, is part of that that you can use to complement this to learn some of these, these sort of skills that you could do and knowledge that you could do online. So I, I would certainly recommend that. In terms of the job market, you know, it's a really tricky one. I was uh, just hearing from the um, Christine Lagarde from the IMF and a lot of folks are thinking that it might not be a V. I mean, who knows how fast things might bounce back? At least it's not a structural financial institution insolvency issue. I'm on the board of Silicon Valley Bank, and uh, banks are in great shape. We have lo- lots of liquidity. The Fed has stepped up. Uh, the IMF has stepped up. There's, this is not a financial crisis. It is an unemployment crisis. So what I would say is that it's not clear how long it'll be before the job market really comes back. To some degree, unfortunately, the jobs least impacted are the digital jobs. The ones that will come back the strongest, I think, will be the digital jobs. There's a huge emphasis on data science, on technology, computer science. I do think that if you're a liberal arts major, this is a good chance to, whether it's getting a degree or getting just a certificate, rounding out that liberal arts background with some, a little bit more STEM-oriented professional certificates could be valuable. And I would expect, I think many students might stay on an extra year and do a four plus one, maybe stay, stay another year and, uh, and get a master's degree in only a year. So a number of universities do this. And if yours doesn't, there are also online programs like Coursera. We have 17 degrees. You can earn a master's degree online. Uh, they're inexpensive. They're fully online, so you don't have to go to campus. There's no risk that the campus gets closed and would, would I- interfere with this. So I do think it's kind of smart to keep your studies going, maybe add in a little bit more STEM, because I think that digital transformation is upon all of us. And when the economy comes back, it'll be the digital jobs that are, are most in demand. That's great advice. Thanks for sharing that. So I think we're about out of time, but um, Jeff, thanks so much for being with us today. And uh, to the listeners, I want to thank you for joining today's show. Um, you can join Osmosis to raise the line and flatten the curve. Uh, just go to osmosis.org forward slash COVID-19. We have a link to the Coursera course that we have as well. Thank you again and have a good rest of your day. Stay safe out there. Thank you for having me. And it's great to have you guys as a partner. Likewise, Jeff. Thanks again. For more information on how you can help raise the line and flatten the curve, go to osmosis.org slash COVID-19. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our podcasts at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Podcast.